Section 19 of The Book of Wales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Botes. The Book of Wales by Frank Evers Bedard. Chapter 9, Part 2. Hyperodon rostratum, Müller. This whale is a common northern species and has been often recorded on our own coasts. The first recorded occurrence was at Malden in Essex in 1717. It varies in color from black in the young to light brown in the old animals. Very old animals turn a pale yellowish with white about them. The undersurface is always grayish white. It will be noted that this change of color is very similar to that which takes place in Beluga. The length seemed to vary between 20 and 30 feet, but Hunter described a skull since missing which apparently belonged to a still larger specimen, 30 or 40 feet long. Captain Gray noted that the tail of this whale, instead of being notched in the center as is common among whales, was rounded, as is shown in the accompanying figure, figure 30. This species is gregarious, going about in herds of from four to ten, rarely more, though Captain Gray has recorded a herd of fifteen. The animal is very unsuspicious, owing no doubt to the fact that it has been until of late but little hunted. The growing scarcity of the right whale has led to its being more actively pursued, and it has been proved that the oil derivable from the animal differs but little from that produced by the right whale. Another habit of this whale has proved its destruction. A herd will never leave a wounded comrade. Directly their company is dead they move away, but not until. They are extremely vigorous and hard to kill. A bottlenose cannot merely leap out of the water that is a capability shared by many whales, but it always takes the water on returning to it head first and can move its head while out of the water. When harpooned, this species has been known to stay under for two hours. The young, when born, seem to be about ten feet long. At least a full-grown fetus of this size was cut out of a mother 29 feet long. It is rather an unusual fact, but it is the case, according to M. Bouvier, that in this species of whale the females are more numerous than the males. The same writer, in describing a specimen of this species, found that the massive forehead is not a character of the male only. M. Bouvier's example was a female, and had a well-developed pair of maxillary crests 
like those figured on page 223 of the adult male. It does not appear to be certain whether this specimen is to be relegated to the category of hens with cocks, combs, and other instances of the old female occasionally taking on the characters of the male or not. Another sexual difference, according to Fisher, is in the length of the pectoral fin. In the male it is one-seventh, and in the female one-twelfth of the body length. The Greenlandish name of this whale, Anarnak, expresses in a naive way the exceedingly purgative character of the fat of the Hyperodon. But although the fat has this unpleasant effect, the flesh, according to M. Bouvier, is eatable, if rather insipid, as is the case with other Ziphides whales. Hyperodon rostratum has grooves upon the throat, but there is some dispute as to the number of these. One pair is the usual allowance, but Kuckenthal found four in embryos studied by him. In an example of 20 feet long, Turner found these grooves to measure 19 inches. Another external character of importance is the presence or absence of hairs on the snout. Kuckenthal saw what he believed to be indications of four hairs on each side, but a histological study did not give definite results. In connection with the fact that a distinct voice is possessed by Ziphides whales, I may call attention to an observation by the Reverend G. Beardsworth that an example of Hyperodon sobbed. The third genus of this family, Berardius, may be thus defined. Skull very symmetrical, nasals massive, forming its vertex, maxillae with rugose eminence, mesophmoid only partially ossified, teeth two on each side of lower jaw, pointed with apices directed forward. Vertebral formula C7, D10, L12, CA19 equals 48. First three cervicals fused. Sternum of five pieces. Eight ribs two-headed. As this genus consists of but one species which has been thoroughly studied, the main features in its description will be considered under the description of the species instead of here. It must be observed, however, that we do not at present know whether the rudimentary teeth present in the jaws of Mesoplodon are also present in Berardius. Attention should also be directed to the fact that a specimen in the Wellington Museum has but one tooth on each side of each mandible. Hence, it is clearly rash to attempt to define the Ziphide whales by the characters of their teeth alone. B. 
Berardius arnuxi, Duvernoy. As is unfortunately the case with other whales, but little is known of the appearance and habits of this, the largest of the Ziphyids. Indeed, there are but three records of its occurrence, and one of these records cannot be regarded as applying without doubt to Berardius. The fullest account of its external appearance is given by Sir Julius von Haast. The creature reaches a length of 30 to 32 feet, the specimen examined by Haast being 30 feet 6 inches in total length. Its color is described by him as of a velvety black, with the exception of the lower portion of the belly, which had a grayish tinge. This agrees exactly with the account of the first specimen upon the examination of whose skull Duvernoy based the genus Berardius. The individual, however, was 32 feet in length. It has not been noticed whether the longitudinal throat plates present in other Ziphyid whales also exist in the species under discussion. This whale is described as bellowing like a bull. It will be remembered that Mesoplodon bidens was stated to low like a cow. But the most remarkable observation as to its economy was made by the wife of the fisherman who discovered the example referred to by Hast. She told her husband that each time he put the stick into the whale's mouth, she could see several large teeth in front of its lower jaw, which, however, were not observed by anybody else, and the existence of which was only revealed when the skull was cleaned, when in front of the lower jaw two large triangular and movable teeth on each side became exposed. It thus seems that the Ziphyid's whales, when defending themselves from their enemies or attacking their prey, have the power to protrude these four teeth at will. This extraordinary statement is supported by an anatomical fact discovered by Dr. Hector in another example of this species. He found that the teeth were embedded in a tough cartilaginous sac, which adheres loosely in the socket of the jaw and is moved by a series of muscular bundles that elevate or depress it. Sir W. Flower justly remarks that these facts accord so little with anything hitherto known in mammalian anatomy that further observations on the subject are extremely desirable. Still, there is the statement of the woman who would not be either prejudiced or informed in the matter upon which her testimony is given. The whale feeds upon cuttlefish. A specimen 27 feet long produced about 240 gallons of oil and a fair amount of spermaceti. As there is but a single known species of this genus, Berardius, 
the osteological characters will be described under the present heading more in detail than was thought requisite to define the genus. These details are naturally taken from Sir W. Flower's memoir upon the whale, but I have myself verified most of them upon the actual skeleton in the Royal College of Surgeons Museum. A striking peculiarity of this whale is the small size of the head compared to the length of the vertebral column, and the large size of the individual vertebrae, a feature which is, however, also very noticeable in Mesoplodon. These proportions are curiously suggestive of some of the extinct aquatic Mosasaurians, as well as of some of the dinosaurs. In this respect, Berardius is at the opposite pole to the Greenland whale, where the head is so enormous as compared with the length of the vertebral column. The skull of Berardius is remarkably symmetrical for a toothed whale, as indeed is that of Mesoplodon. The nasals, standing up erect and not sunk from the vertex of the skull. The maxillae are furnished with a strong oval tuberosity, like those of Hyperodon, but not so strongly developed, since in Hyperodon those convexities increase in the males from youth to the old age, it may be that the skeleton of Berardius, which Sir W. Flower has so carefully described, is of a female or young male. That is not a fully adult example, is shown by the large persistence of the epiphysis, not only in the vertebral column, but elsewhere. The mesethmoid plate is short, comparatively speaking, that is to say, compared with what we find in Mesoplodon. The rami of the mandible are not ankylosed together. The vertebral column has the following formula C7, D10, L12, CA19 equals 48. Of the cervical vertebrae, the atlas, axis, and the third vertebra are united by their bodies. The first two are also united by their neural arches. The remaining vertebrae are quite separate. Sir W. Flower observes that, apart from the fusion between these vertebrae, they are much more like those of the beluga, Delphinapterus. The dorsal and lumbar vertebrae, especially the lumbar, contrast greatly with those of the mesoplodon by reason of the shortness and slenderness of the neural spines, as well as their greater inclination backwards. Of the ten dorsal vertebrae, zygapophyses are only developed until between the eighth and the ninth. There are none between the ninth and the tenth. The lumbar vertebrae have their transverse process continuous with the lower transverse process of the ninth and the ninth dorsals 
which bear the last two ribs in a perfectly straight line from beginning to end of the series, as in Mesoplodon. The lumbar vertebrae are distinctly keeled on the under surface. The first of the nineteenth caudal vertebra is to be distinguished from the last of the lumbar series, not only by the pair of facets on the hinder lower surface of the centrum for the chevron bones, but also by the absence of the keel spoken of as characteristic of the lumbars. There appear to be nine chevron bones. Of the ten pairs of ribs, the first articulates with the transverse process of the first dorsal vertebrae and with the centrum of the last cervical. As in most other Ziphides, cf, however, Hyperodon, there is a sudden break at the end of the series of ribs. The ninth and tenth have only the capitular head, which is attached to a lower transverse process, springing from the centrum of the vertebrae and not exiting even in rudiment in the vertebrae in front. The sternum consists of five elements not connected by bone. Between the first four of these are spacious foramina in the dried skeleton, the edges of which are beveled and smooth, so that it does not appear that ossification would have advanced further in this direction if the animal had lived to be older. There appear to be six pairs of cartilaginous sternal ribs. In the manus, the scaphoid and the lunar are united, though a groove remains to mark their original distinctness. The cuneiform is partly united with the ansiform. The magnum and the trapezoid are completely united. So far as is known, the pelvis consists of only one small bone, 5.8 inches in length. Berardius arnuxi is one of the few whales with a really limited distribution. It has only been taken so far on the north shores of New Zealand. Malm, however, has given some account of a fragmentary skull, to which the name B. Vege has been given from Bering Straits, and there is also B. Berdi. The genus Ziphius has as characteristic features the skull with mesethmoid ossified. The nasals conjoined form an asymmetrical eminence upon the vertex. Two teeth near symphysis of mandible, besides smaller functionless teeth. Vertebral formula C7 D nine or ten L eleven C A twenty one equals forty nine the first four cervicals fused or only three or six seven ribs two headed sternum consists of five pieces phalanges one one two five three five four five 
5, 2. Parker and Scott. Ziphius cavirostris, Cuvier, is the only species of the genus that can be certainly recognized. The following names, however, have been also given. Z. cathamiensis, Hector. Z. nova zelandiae, Hast. Z. indicus, Van Beneden. Z. australis, Burmeister. Petrorhynchus capensis, Gray. Z. grebnetsky, Steiniger. Hyperodon semijunctus, Cope. H. Dumeti, Gray. H. Gervasi, Duvernoy. Delphinus desmaresti, Riso. D. Philippi, Coco. Ziphiorhynchus cryptodon, Burmeister, and apparently some others. The above formidable list of synonyms is mainly after van Beneden. Considering that the species has only been known from the year 1804, the synonyms have multiplied with perhaps greater rapidity and to a greater extent than those of almost any whale. It was in the year mentioned that a skull completely petrified in appearance was picked up upon the Mediterranean coast of France and regarded properly as the type of a new form, but incorrectly as a species now extinct. Forty-six years later, i.e. in 1850, a second skull was found, also on the Mediterranean shore. Since then, Ziphius cavirostris has been found in many and the most distant parts of the world. The size of this whale varies much according to the measurements given. These naturally are from individuals of different ages. Van Beneden remarks that its size is a little inferior to that of Hyperodon. It is also to be distinguished from that northern whale by the larger size of the two teeth. The grooves on the throat are possibly a character by which differences may be ultimately detected between specimens of Ziphius, which are at present referred to the same species. The bulk of accounts allow only two grooves meeting and forming a V-shaped mark upon the throat. But I quote later from another account and of a New Zealand species or specimen. Von Haast's Z. Nove Zealandae was originally founded on an aged female, 26 feet in length, described as being bluish black on the upper portion of the body, white beneath, the upper portion being marked with numerous oval spots, two to three inches across like the skin of a leopard. Two additional specimens acquired later showed that the animal possesses a dorsal fin, which was doubted at first. One of these was a young female, 19 feet in length, the other of the same sex and 21 feet in length.
The colour is the exact reverse of that first described, being white above and black beneath. The throat has a single fold on each side, and the two teeth stood out half an inch beyond the gums. No smaller teeth were detected. In the larger specimen, the teeth were worn down and could not be felt, but were revealed by incisions. The first animal was scored by numerous lacerations, due apparently to fighting among themselves or to attacks from the males. The spots are also healed wounds. Messers. Scott and Parker have described and figured a young Ziphius from New Zealand, which differs in several particulars from those just referred to. But they have, perhaps wisely, abstained from giving it a name. The animal, a young female, was 16 feet long, all but an inch, purple-black on the back, brown on the side of the head, and white beneath, to as far back as the genital orifice, whence it was brown. The throat is grooved by three grooves on each side. The middle of the caudal fin is convex, as in Hyperodon and Mesoplodon. See figure 31. It will be noted that the color and grooves on the throat differ from those of Z. Nove Zelandiae, but there are no salient differences in the osteology. End of section 19. Recording by Mike Botez.